Hi, I'm Erwin McManus. I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I want to also bring you into some exciting things that are happening here. If you go to the Mosaic app, you will learn about our conference coming up this year, about MSC's new album and their tour across the country. And you can learn how to connect and be more involved in Mosaic in so many different ways. And by the way, we now have the Mosaic YouTube channel. And you can go access not only these talks, but other fresh and new materials that are being created specifically for that channel. And so if you want to be connected in a richer and fuller way, uh, not only be a part of the podcast, get to the Mosaic app and get to the channel. And we'll see you there. So this is the beginning of a series that we're going to dive into together. We're going to take the content of The Last Arrow that took the last year and a half creating, writing, imagining, and translating for you. And we're going to walk through together chapter by chapter in book clubs across the city, across the nation, across the world. And we're going to join together in these great communities known as crews. And you're going to get to journey with people. And, and, and here's the thing. You can, you can experience a talk, a message. And it gives me an opportunity that hopefully somehow I might inspire you. But, but to be inspired is not always the same thing as to be transformed. What a book does is it allows you to go beyond inspiration to transformation. It allows you to go beyond feeling enthusiastic about something and actually doing the hard work of becoming something. So I want to challenge you to take these weeks and invest in yourself. Invest in your life. And I, I think it's crazy when people say to me, well, you know, I don't, I don't have 20 bucks to buy the book. Well, if you don't have 20 bucks to invest in who you are becoming as a human being, nothing I tell you can help you. Because you have to take responsibility for your life. So we're going to go deep dive over the next several weeks. And, and just to be clear, this book is not a self-help book. It's a self-sacrifice book. It's not a book about achieving all your dreams. It is about living the life that you were created to live. Because I, I think too many times we, we're, we're over-focused on trying to get God to care about what we care about. And not focus enough on caring what God cares about. So we're going to dive in. And tonight, I, I want to talk to you about the point of no return. This, this opening imagery was, for me, inspired when I watched this movie years ago. One of my favorite little obscure movies called Gattaca. It's starring Ethan Hawke and Jude Law and Uma Thurman. And, and I, I'm really drawn to movies about two brothers because I have a brother. And so I'm drawn to movies about brothers since I have a brother. And I'm always drawn to movies where the, the younger brother outperforms the older brother because I'm the younger brother. And... and, and and Gattaca, for me, was almost a translation of my own personal subjective experience with my brother. We were in the same grade from first to twelfth grade. He was a year and a half older than me, but I grew up functionally as a twin, but I was the inferior twin. And in Gattaca, it's about two brothers, one that is the result of genetic modification, and he's perfect. He's the ideal human, and then the other brother was an accident, and he's just basically a natural. And so you, you have this genetically perfected human and this accident now of 
just natural birth. And they grow up together, and there's no comparison between the two. One is just simply more attractive, more athletic, more intelligent, more gifted, more everything. But the other one is more driven. And the scene that, that captured me was when they were swimming out in the ocean and they were competing against each other and, and the, the natural-born brother, the inferior one, just keeps swimming and swimming and the, and the brother who's genetically modified to always succeed is matching him stroke by stroke, stride by stride. And, and eventually the, the brother who was perfect began to get exhausted. He, he, he encouraged the brother to stop. We need to go back. But the brother wouldn't go back. He just kept going. He just kept swimming. And then the other brother said, no, we, we need to go back. And he said, no, you can go back. I'm going to keep going. And they keep going. And finally, the, the, the brother that was supposed to be perfect was afraid for his life. He knew he had swam too far. They would not have the strength to go back to where they started from. They'd crossed the point of no return. And finally, he surrendered to his inferior brother. And he said, how did you do it? And his brother said, do you want to know how I did it? Do you want to know how I did it? I didn't save anything for the way back. And that, that moment gripped me. Because I, I realized that, that if you feel like you have been given a deficit in life, that you're just not as gifted or as talented or as intelligent that you, you really never had the potential or capacity of other people. That, that there's still a way to distinguish yourself. There's still a way to elevate your life. And in fact, that a life well lived, a life lived without regret, a life that never settles. It's actually not about your talent and not about your intellect and not about your capacity. That's your willingness to save nothing. For the way back. I wonder how many of us have wandered through life, and every time we came to that, that line of demarcation, that point of no return, we, we, we've just very subtly and carefully always pulled ourselves back. So there's some of you here, and you've tried God, and God didn't work. Let's just be really upfront about it. You, you, you've tried Jesus, and you know, Jesus just didn't come through. You've tried faith, and faith was inadequate. And so you've tried this stuff. And, and sometimes the hardest person to help is the person who thinks they've tried what you're offering them. And you've tried Jesus. You've tried God. You've tried faith. But, and you may have even traveled a long distance. You can remember the journey you were on. But the reality is that, that no matter how far you traveled, no matter how far you wandered along the way, you somehow instinctively stopped. See, I can tell you why it did not work for you. Because you stopped just beyond, just before the point of no return. And when that moment came, when you had to decide whether you would take that last critical step, when you would take that step where you knew that going back was impossible, that going forward would then become your only option, you didn't take that step. You just sort of stepped back and said, no, I've tried this. It doesn't work for me. See, it's true not only in faith, it's true in every arena of life, there will be a point of no return, and you will have to decide whether you take that step across. That point of no return is that point where going back is more dangerous than going forward, where you've eliminated the option of retreat. And as I began looking at the scriptures, I realized that God works with a variety of different kinds of people. 
People are so different in the scriptures. Their personality, their gifting, their talents, their circumstances. You have Ruth and Esther. You have David and Daniel. Moses and Joshua. They're they're so different. You couldn't have two more contrasting people than Isaiah and Jeremiah. Or even with Jesus between John and Peter. And yet, as different as people are, they, they were all taken to that same intersection in their life. That they all had something in common that we actually have in common with them. That, that God would take them to a point of no return and they would have to decide whether they would cross it or retreat. You see this in Joshua chapter 1. This point of no return. That God calls us all to cross over. Joshua chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. Now, there couldn't be a more depressing way to begin a book than to start with after the death, dot, dot, dot. I mean, if you, if you want to really step into a morose story, it begins that way. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. So not even the person who actually served God escaped death. He's dead. And then the Lord says to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, not Moses' commander-in-chief, not Moses' right-hand man, not Moses' co-leader, Moses' aide. His water boy, his assistant, his PA. (laughs) And then this is what God says to Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, if there's anything Joshua needed God to tell him, it wasn't that. See, there are a lot of things that Joshua would have really appreciated God disclosing to him, but he already knew Moses was dead. That was clear. You ever feel like God's telling you what you already know? You feel like, God, you know, could you tell me something I don't know? I know I'm in trouble. See, this opening line is basically saying Joshua's world was ruined. His world was turned upside down. This was a dark day. Moses was dead. Moses was the one. Moses Moses was the one that encountered God as a burning bush. Who gets that? Not Joshua. Moses is the one who could go up to the mountain of God and sit and speak with God face to face as a friend talks to a friend. Moses would come down from the mountain glowing. You don't really have to say much. You just glow. It wasn't Joshua. See, Moses is dead and no one is more aware of the implications of that than Joshua. Because... Everyone else knew Moses was dead. And all they had left was Joshua. You ever looked awesome because you were next to somebody awesome? You ever been on an awesome team? So everybody thought you were awesome too? And then they removed the awesome person and you were just not that awesome? (laughs) 
So many people have won championships because they were on LeBron's team. <laughs> Championship! Yeah, you had LeBron. It's amazing how many people won championships because they, they were on Kobe's team or Michael Jordan's team or Steph Curry's team. You know, it's, it's, the problem, though, is sometimes God moves the awesome person and all that's left is some. No awe. (laughs) And then God gives him that that transitional, terrifying statement. Now, then, you. See, that's what happens at the point of no return. God turns your life upside down. And he calls you into a future that's bigger than you. And then he says, now, then, you. Not not the person that you expect God to use, not the person you saw God use, not the person that made you look awesome, but that now that has been removed from your life, what are you going to do? See, what happens when you come to the point of return is that you have to decide that the past needs to be left in the past. See, what God asks us all is what do you need to leave behind? See, Joshua didn't think he could go forward without Moses. But Moses could not go where God wanted to take Joshua. See, Joshua thought they could only travel because of Moses. But as amazing a leader as Moses was, as great as Moses was, he could not take the next step. He could not lead them any further on the journey. It was now Joshua's moment. This was his responsibility. He had to decide. Would he just walk up to that point in return and pull back and say, God, I got to tap out. This isn't me. And God says, look, you just got to step up into this moment. And I wonder, what is it that you must leave behind to move ahead? Sometimes it's a person. Joshua had to leave Moses behind. And here's the crazy thing. See, if he stayed with Moses, he would simply be living with the dead rather than living life to the fullest. See, sometimes you you have to realize that the future God is calling you into requires that you leave some people in the past. What do you need to leave behind? As I look around this room, maybe you have to leave behind a boyfriend so that you can actually have a man friend. Who then becomes a husband. See, maybe you need to leave behind a girlfriend so that you can actually have a woman who becomes your wife. Maybe what you need to leave behind is your willingness to just survive and decide to thrive. Maybe what you need to leave behind is some of your cool and take up some heat. You might need to leave behind bitterness because bitterness doesn't travel well into the future. And the crazy thing with bitterness is that you're probably bitter against someone who doesn't even remember you anymore. 
And so they're moving on with their lives and you're still stuck in their life. Because as long as you're holding on to the wounds they gave you, you are still owned by the choices they made. What do you need to leave behind? Maybe you need to leave behind everything. <laughs> That's good. What do you need to leave behind? Because it's holding you in the past. If you're going to hold on to your past, you cannot take a hold of your future. So Moses is dead. And God reemphasizes this point. He's dead now than you. The past must be left in the past. And for some of you, that past may be an amazing past. Maybe you have to leave behind your past successes for your future challenges. Maybe your best moments are not supposed to be memories. They're supposed to be waiting. And then he goes on to say, in verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, and all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. See, if the first question you need to answer is what must you leave behind, then the second question is what's your next step? Because you see, what, what, what God is really unwrapping here for Joshua is that there's a, there's a, a process that God uses to move in our lives and through our lives. He says to him, I will give you. See, I think a lot of us, that's where we stop. See, God's going to give me. Look at the promise in the Bible. I will give you. We're like, give me. Here I am, God. I'm just open, (laughs) receiving. He doesn't just say, I will give you. That's not the end of the sentence. He says, I will give you every place where you set your foot. See, there is, in a sense, a territory that God wants to give you. There's a future that God wants to give you. There's a possession that God wants to give you, but he doesn't just give it to you. You have to step into it. See, I think a lot of us, I think a lot of us want God to just sprinkle angel dust on our heads. I'm giving it to you. Can you feel it? See, I, I think that's the reason a lot of us who are, who get into that like weird space, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I feel Jesus. I'm feeling God. You, you know why we act like Jesus is a jacuzzi? It's because we want God to experience us out of the life we've created. And we don't want to step into it. We want Jesus the magician instead of Jesus the Messiah. We want him to just magically fix our life. But here, you ever ask God, God, change my life? You ever said that? You ever had that thought? God, change my life. God, change my future. God, change my circumstance. But I'm going to give you an insight that is worth every moment you've invested tonight. Your life is connected to you. 
if God fixed your life and kept you there the way you are, you would ruin it in five minutes. Because the life you have, if it needs to be fixed, it cannot be fixed. Because you're the one who broke it. See, God can't change your life without changing you. He cannot change your future without changing you. See, every change that God wants to make begins with you and with me. And so God says, look, I want to give you every place you set your foot. And now Joshua is standing at the shore of the Jordan, just like Moses stood at the shore of the Red Sea. And God says to him, I want you to step out. I want you to step forward. I want you to go past the point of no return. And I'll give you wherever you set your foot. But I'm not going to give you any more than that. See, if you're here going, God, do something. You need to hear God say, then move. Because God's not going to give you anything you're not willing to work for. And step into and fight for. Years ago, I, I had a friend here in L.A., and brilliant guy. And he wanted to hang out and talk. And so we got together, and, and I said, what do you want to do with your life? Have you ever just known someone who's so brilliant and so talented and so gifted and doing nothing? Just doing Nothing. That matters in the world. And I looked at him, I said, what do you want to do with your life? And he looked at me and it was instantaneous. I want to change the world. I thought, that's good. You and every other beauty queen. <laughs> world peace. I want to change the world. And I, I told him, that's a great thing. You want to change the world. So where are you going to start? He leaned back in the chair, kind of looked up and he, he laughed a little bit. He goes, <laughs> That's the hard part, isn't it? That's the tricky part. I have no idea where to start. I said, well, then I don't need to know anything more about you. But I know you will never change the world. Because people who change the world, they change the square feet around their feet. That's how the world gets changed. One square foot at a time. So what is your next step right now? What is the step? Not, not, not what's your grand vision for the universe. What is the, the ult, not what is the ultimate contribution you're going to make to the benefit of all of humanity? That's awesome. One day we'll look back and talk about those. But right now, I just want to ask you one real practical question. What's your next step? See, what's that step that's the step right after you stop before you hit the point of no return? See, what's that next step? step in your character that will transform who you are? What's the next step in your journey of faith that will change your life forever? What's the next step in your career? See, this is true in every endeavor in life. In every endeavor that you will ever take on, in any arena that you ever pursue greatness or excellence, you're going to come to a point of no return and you're going to have to decide whether you're going to just stay on the one side where there's safety and security where you know what's going on or you're going to step past that point and have no surrender, no retreat and know that you cannot go back, that you can only go forward 
Where are your feet pointing? Because some of you are facing forward, but somehow you've genetically remodified your legs because your feet are pointing backwards. And you need to start walking forward, stepping forward. Wherever your feet touch, that's what God gives you. The territory that God wants to give you must be taken. He goes on to say, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I love that. You ever notice sometimes you read something and you retranslate it to mean what you want it to mean, not what it actually means? He says, no one will be able to stand against you. And the way we hear that is, oh, look, if God's with me, no one will stand against me. But that's not what he says. There's one little word there that changes the entire meaning of that sentence. It does not say, and no one will stand against you. It says, no one will be able to stand against you. And if no one is able to stand against you, it means that someone is going to try to stand against you. See, if you cross this line, if you go beyond the point of no return, let me tell you, there are going to be people who stand against you. In fact, you know what I've noticed? People without ambition have a lot of friends. They do. When you're just sitting around apathetically pointing to other people critiquing their lives, you have so many people who want to be your friends so that they can also critique everyone else and talk about how everyone else is getting it wrong. Apathy seems to have an endless number of friends or at least company. And so maybe you're here like, I have all the friends in the world. We're all miserable together. (laughs) See, if you cross the line, if you step beyond the point of return, if you actually decide to take territory, to step into your future, if you decide to change the standard of what your life is about, you're going to lose friends. And you're going to make enemies. You know, one thing I've discovered in my life, every time I create, I create new enemies. Every time I create anything, I create new critics. It's inescapable. I've never been more liked than when I wasn't doing anything meaningful. <laughs> but the moment you step into the life you're created to live, you're going to have critics. You ever used to have, like, you know, drinking buddies? You know, I don't mean like, you know, like last week. <laughs> you ever had drinking buddies that you drank with all the time and then you decided to not drink? You ever notice that your drinking buddies don't want to be your buddy when you stop drinking? Now, you didn't change. You're still you. You're just sober. They don't want to be your friends. They don't want to drink with someone who's not drinking because, one, you'll remember. <laughs> they don't want someone who remembers tomorrow. But they don't want someone who doesn't diminish themselves to the same level they will diminish themselves. They want everyone to go equally low. We have cultural character limbo. And we will partner and walk with and join with people who are willing to go as low as we're willing to go. But the moment you decide to step up, you'll lose those friends. You will. See, the the moment you decide to go to work and become the best employee, you're not going to make a lot of friends. Other people who work there, who you start making look bad, They're going to start criticizing you. Who do they think they are? Look at the way they're showing off, showing up on time. (laughs) 
Who do they think they are showing up early, leaving late? That's not your job. See, the moment you start doing something that's not your job, you just do it because you want to serve. The moment you decide that you're going to bring more to the table, other people are going to want to get you off the table. (laughs) He says, no one will be able to stand against you, but people will try to stand against you. He goes, and even though they're going to stand against you, he says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. So the question then demands to be asked, what's your excuse? I can hear Joshua's excuse. Moses is dead. You and him were tight. Me and Moses were tight. But he never invited me to your party. I don't know you like he knew you. And God says, okay, I know you like I knew him. And I'm going to be with you. So what's your excuse now? (laughs) Well, there are enemies on the other side of the Jordan. There are battles to be fought. God says, I know. In just the same way I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. So what's your excuse now? They're going to stand against you. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to try to, to comfort you. And if anyone ever told you that following Jesus and giving your life to the creator of the universe would make your life easier, you've been totally misled. Jesus is the great disruptor of the soul. And if you do not want your life disrupted, you are not ready to follow Jesus. Because Jesus is nauseated by mediocrity. Disturbed by apathy. Is the enemy of the status quo. If Jesus will do anything in your life, is he will push you to the line and say, now take that step beyond the point of no return. And you go, yeah, but I didn't know it was going to be this hard. I thought you were going to give me the promised land. Isn't that the language we like? I didn't know the promised land was going to be full of battles. And God's saying, that's what I promised you. The process is the promise. You ever said to God, God, do something with my life. Be careful. (laughs) Be more specific. (laughs) Or if you pray, God, I want you to use me for great things. Anybody here have that prayer? God, do something significant, something epic, something incredible with my life. I want you to know the moment you're praying that, And life gets tough and you have incredible challenges and you're facing crisis and your world is turned upside down. Don't get angry with God saying, God, I thought you were going to do something awesome in my life. And God says, this is my process. But they will not be able to stand against you, but they will stand against you. So get up. And you want to... You want to shuffle all your friendships? Get together with all the people that you've had a silent agreement to drown in apathy and to live in mediocrity and step into the room and say, enough is enough. I can't live this way anymore. You know, all those actors who aren't getting parts, who are criticizing everybody who is getting a part, all those people that you're friends the moment you get apart, they won't be your friends anymore. So you sold out. <laughs> because the moment your tribe is defined by apathy 
and insignificance and failure and fear. You're in the wrong tribe. It's okay. The struggle. That struggle is the process. But don't ever blame the process on people out there who don't get you. Stop blaming your circumstances and life and the universe. Oh my, how many of us are blaming the universe, the poor universe? (laughs) The universe has never even had a thought about you. (laughs) The universe isn't against you. The universe doesn't know you. It's only God who knows you and he's for you. So then the question is, what are you afraid of? He says in verse 6, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to it, from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Now, there's something really nuanced here. See, I, I, I think that we're in a room full of people who are... Chasing success. Man, we're, we're, we're just, we're, we're chasing success. We're fighting for success. We're pursuing success. I like that about you. The only problem is that, that chasing success is like trying to stand on the horizon. Every time you step forward, the horizon moves on you. And always stays the same distance from where you are. See, if you keep chasing success, you are destined for failure. And disappointment. Because even when you gain the success you wanted, it will leave you wanting. But here's what, what God says to Joshua. Be strong and very courageous that you may be successful wherever you go. Do you hear the difference? See, God is not telling Joshua, cross the line. Take that step beyond the point of no return. Because out there, somewhere, is the success you're longing for. Out there, somewhere, is the success you're craving. That's not what God says. Look, he says, trust me. Trust me in this. Let me be who I am for you. And instead of chasing success, success will chase you. See, he says, and you will be successful wherever you go. See, some of us are running for, where can I go to be successful? But you see, once you enter into relationship with the creator of the universe, once you've entered into relationship to Jesus who gave his life for you, once you know the God who longs to know you, you don't have to go find success. Success has found you. That you may be successful wherever you go. And I look back now and I finally understand a lot of my life. Because if you look from the outside, you might go, wow. He's done a lot of things in his life. Which I have. I've been in so many different domains of life. And in every one of them, we've had unbelievable success. But it wasn't because... We knew how to create success out there. It's because we took success with us. God wants to prosper you through the transformation of you. 
But if you are afraid to risk your life, you've already risked your life. And then he says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Saying, Joshua, get up. It's time to move. It's time to step beyond that point of no return. What are you waiting for? They think a lot of us are just sitting back hoping God does something in our lives and God is going, going just move. Just, just trust me. Just take that step. Just, just, just get up to that line, to that point of no return. Take a deep breath. Find all the strength and courage you can. Be strong and courageous. I love how God tells him that. He doesn't say, don't worry, Joshua. I got it. He says, no, no. I got you. There are battles, there are challenges, there are obstacles, there are crises. They're in front of you. I'm telling you, they're going to stand against you, so be strong. Find that strength within you. Be courageous. Become strong of heart. Because everything God wants to do in the world around you, he must first do in the universe within you. So what are you waiting for? If God can only change our lives by changing us, God can only change our future by changing us. In a sense, if God can only change our destiny by changing us, then what in the world are we waiting for? Why do we keep staying on the side of safety and security, of of comfort, and wonder why God doesn't show up and come through when he's just waiting for you to take that That last step, that last step where return is no longer an option, where it's more dangerous to go back than it is to go forward. See, for some of you, God didn't work. Faith didn't work. Jesus didn't work. And you don't know why. You just cannot figure out why. It's because you stayed on the safe side. And God really can't do much with us on this side. He needs us to step beyond the point of no return and save nothing for the way back. There's this young woman I've, I've gotten to know. Her name is Shay Abutalevi. And Shay reminded me how God meets us in the most unexpected of ways. You ever notice that, that one of God's preferred metaphors of the point of no return is water? He puts Moses at the edge of the Red Sea and says, this is the point of no return, Moses. Lift up your, ra- la- your staff and watch the waters part. And Moses leads his people through the waters to the point of no return while their past is hunting them down because their past had a name, and it was Egypt. And now decades have gone by, and, and Joshua's standing the banks of the Jordan, and God says, Joshua, when the soles of your feet touch the water, then the waters will part. This is your point of no return. 
once you cross these waters, once you step into these waters, there's no going back. There's only forward. You're leaving the past in the past. You're stepping into a new future. It makes sense then that baptism is so significant to the faith journey. It's the water grave. It's our Red Sea. It's our Jordan. See, baptism is that point of no return. It's so easy to invite Jesus into our lives and keep him privately ours and protect ourselves from the public crisis of faith. Because someone might stand against you. Someone might think you're out of your mind. Someone might think you lost it somewhere along the way. I had this friend who came up to me and he said, Erwin, when you, when you speak, it, it, it disrupts me. It, it's, it's, it's disturbing and I feel like I have to make some huge changes in my life. And I said, so what do you do with that? He goes, oh. I go home. I, um, I go into the backyard. I, I get in my pool. I have my wife bring me a lemonade. And I stay there till that feeling goes away. <laughs> There's some of you here right now. And... You are disrupted. You are disturbed. Something inside of you is shaken. And you're going to have to decide what you're going to do with that. So three weeks ago, Shay comes to Mosaic. She was born in Tehran, Iran. For the last 28 years of her life, she's been a Muslim. Her father was a part of the Shah of Iran's dictatorship. From her own description, he was not a good man. As a Muslim, coming here was a point of no return. And I only met her because last week we did a spontaneous book signing and she was the first person in line. And I asked her name, she told me it was Shay, and I asked her her background because she has a very unique exotic look, and she goes, I'm from Tehran, Iran, I'm a Muslim. And as we're talking, I said, Shay, I want to ask you a question. She goes, what's that? I said, have you had a life-changing encounter with Jesus yet? Yet. It was the optimal word. She goes, no, I haven't yet. I said, well, let me tell you. I was waiting to sign my book. I said, let me tell you. You and Jesus are going to have a life-changing encounter very, very soon. It's going to happen so soon. And she looked at me and she said, I'm really looking forward to that. I thought, this is amazing. So beautiful. She goes, but I don't know anything about Jesus. Are there any books I could read? <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, there are a few. But she goes, are there any books I could read to know more about Jesus? Because I, I really want to know who he is. Because I'd love to have an encounter with him. I said, well, there are books, but, but, you know, two of our pastors, Joe and Beck Smith, they'll be happy to take you and Troy out, her boyfriend. I said, and, and they'll share with you how you can have a life-changing encounter with Jesus and answer all your questions. And she looked at me and she said, really? They would do that for me? That was her second week here. This Friday, they had time together, and 
and say, as a Muslim, a woman from Tehran, Iran, gave her life to Jesus and crossed that line and went beyond the point of no return. <laughs> and she came this morning, her third week. And as we were talking, I said, Shay, this is such a great journey. Are you going to follow Jesus in baptism today? She looked a little nervous. That was at 10 a.m. I said, do I have permission to tell your story? She said, yes. So I told her story. But it was incomplete because she had not yet crossed through the line of water. So she left after the 10 and came back after the 12 and was the first person in line to be baptized this morning. And she followed Jesus across that line. I want you to know something. See, Jesus had to go past the point of no return. When God stepped into human history and he was born of a virgin, that first breath where he was fully human, point of no return, no going back on that one. He lived this beautiful, perfect life. And he came to love us and all he received was our disdain and our violence. And just before the cross, just before his crucifixion, he's at this beautiful garden and he's praying to God, his father, saying, Father, if there's any other way, would you take this from me? But not my will, but yours. You know what he's saying? God, Father, if, if there's any way I don't have to cross this line, this, this, this point of no return, then God, just show me, because this, this is a line I don't really want to step across right now in my humanity. And his father says, no, I need you to, to step past the point of no return. So Jesus does. So when Jesus allowed himself to be crucified on the cross, when he gave himself on our behalf, when he became our sacrifice, when Jesus cried out and said, it is finished, Jesus stepped across the point of no return, and he did that for you and for me, for us. Because he knew. See, he knew that there could not be a resurrection without a crucifixion. There could not be life without death. And if Jesus would cross that line, that point of no return for you, what are you waiting for? What are you afraid of? What's going to keep you from taking that one step that will change your life forever? Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.